Cascadia and the edge of the world, Euphomet presents Night Drift with Jim Perry. Good evening. You are listening to Night Drift presented by Euphomet and I'm Jim Perry. Coming to you tonight, a podcast exclusive version of the show. Thank you for listening as always. Tonight, I'm joined by guest Mana Aylin who is a practicing witch, and co-host Darcy Staniforth and Tim Rothschild on a panel edition that was broadcasted live in front of a Patreon audience last year. We explore creativity, magic, consciousness, and way more in an incredibly free-flowing conversation. It's longer than your usual broadcast, and I think probably a perfect companion for your weekend travel, your quiet night lakeside, that long walk through the park, we really hope you enjoy this episode. You know, so no new Euphemet features this week as previously advertised. You know, John and I are simply very particular about the episodes we put out and are having really so much fun producing these things. We are giving ourselves a few more weeks of working on them. Sometimes you can give yourself more time to explore. That goes for art and life, right? Now this Sunday, We are live on KKNW, 1150 AM in Seattle at 5 PM Pacific, 8 Eastern, with another edition of Night Drift, this time with guest Vicki Joy Anderson, who will share her research on sleep paralysis and nighttime visitations. And as if some nighttime entity, I'm here, always listening to. So share your story with me. Email me at jim at euphemat.com and use Hashtag Nightdrift on Twitter. Now, before we get to our guests, I do want to remind you that later this month will be my first Euphemet-related live appearance, and it's in Chicago at the Music Box Theater. I'll be interviewing Spectre Vision's Daniel Noah after a special screening of Rodney Asher's The Nightmare. We're going to get deep into Daniel's own relationship with the paranormal as it relates to the topic of the nightmare and so much more. Tickets are on sale right now. A link is in the show notes. Come hang out. I want to finally meet you in person. That's on Wednesday, August 24th at the Music Box Theater. I'm Jim Perry. This is Night Drift. just sharing with these folks that we we're for the first time in a long time we were having ghosts in the system and it was it was messing with with my sound nobody else mind you just mommy. i think that's an extension and then jim froze 
Yeah. Oh, and then did I freeze? You froze for a second right as you were explaining it. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well, I'm glad that we've got the A-team here tonight with Darcy and Tim and Mana is here. And uh, I'm glad that's because if I just if I just fade out into some other dimension, then you guys can just roll without me. That's my voicemail. When people call me and leave a message, it says I fell into another dimension and then I'll call them when I get back. And my boss like left a message on my phone the other day and hadn't done that before. And I forgot it was there. They were like, that was weird. <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> Don't you love when there's that crossover between sort of spooky work and then when you have to go into the civilian sector again mm-hmm. and you're and and you're like usually like oh it's okay like most people know i'm into you know kind of uh the esoteric if you will and then there's those others there are maybe a new client a new relationship and you're like oh yeah i'm gonna have to unpack some of this <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh <laughs> yep, that happens quite a bit, especially if I forget to change my name back on Zoom. And then they're like, who's that? And I'm like, don't worry about it. And hopefully you haven't Googled it by now. If not, we might have some chats. And I'm fine to have some chats, but it'll be different. It's going right. to be different for a while. I talked to someone about this the other day, and there was a concern for for them about uh, entering into that space. And I said, you know what? Like sometimes that person who may approach you with like a raised eyebrow about that situation, about this other life, maybe they're actually just curious because they're waiting for someone to break the ice on their weirdness. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like they're waiting like, oh, wait, it, did I actually find somebody that can share like about my Bigfoot grandpa? Like. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a thing? Tim, you don't have to worry about this anymore because the space that you live is a, 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 a shamanic templedom. <laughs> I was right? laughing at myself. I was laughing at myself earlier because it's like the difference between the supernatural and then going out. For me, it's like you ever see that Mr. Burns episode from The Simpsons when he comes out of like the radioactive treatment that he gets all the time? <laughs> Am I dating myself by talking? But no, no, come no. in peace. You just, yeah. you know, that's <laughs> that's more or less what I come from. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> oh, Tim, I love that. Can you just do that every single time you're on here now? Just a different yeah. Mr. Burns impersonation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll throw in some Smithers uh, sound effects in there. All right, uh, let's go ahead and start here. I just wanted to thank patrons. Friends, thanks so much for joining us again tonight on this Hangout, uh, especially during this uh, mid-season break for the season four of Euphemet. It's really great to be able to consistently still connect with you folks. And, you know, we're sharing messages and emails. And it's just, it's so great, this community that we have building up here. And it's it's so awesome to be able to wel- welcome guests in as well and have consistent uh, co-hosts or hosts to the show as well. So thank you so much for that. Uh, tonight, we will be talking about living in the magic of it all. And with my co-hosts, writer, paranormal investigator, Darcy Staniforth, and of course, uh, returning after quite the hiatus, he's a non-dual shamanic healer, mystic Tim Rothschild. Tim, uh, I'll speak for Darcy right now and the rest of the folks in this room. We've really missed you, man. Yeah, it's really good to be back. I'm glad you keep inviting me. Appreciate it. Oh, okay. I see what you did there. (laughs) See how he just put himself over there by admitting that he's been declining invitations to, uh, no, dude, I, come to this. No, man, this is the only show that I've been doing. You're the, you're the only show that I'd come out of hiding for to oh, hang out okay. for a little bit. All right. Okay. I see. I see. Yeah. 
I appreciate the, the insistency. <laughs> yes, yes, of course. I always, always. I will always yeah. be standing outside of your door with a little rapidity rap, rap, rap. <laughs> I can always count on that. <laughs> Play Timbo. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. um, you, the, the years that we've been doing this is testament to that, my friend, if anything. Yeah. And of course, our guest tonight, um, Nana Allen, is a shadow singer, artist, intuitive reader, otherworldly and traveler, magician, herbal acolyte, and ceremony cemetery walker, and maybe a ceremony walker as well. <laughs> Hailing from the depths of the underworld, Nana often finds himself connecting with wolfish creatures of this plane and others, baneful plants, and those who live in constant liminality. They also host the Real Witches of the End Times podcast, where magic and paranormal folk share their stories for an audience of not just witches, uh, living people or humans. In their free time, you can find Mana out in the aether, 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 either one, <laughs> exploring, swinging to the shadows, or roller skating along the edge of the abyss. Mana, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you for having me. I have never had my bio read to me before, and I am glad that I wrote it well on my website. So, <laughs> right. It's great. It's very poetic. I love it. Uh, I had to read the entire thing because it just, uh, it, it was really well written. Um, the first thing I want to ask you, I want to jump right into the deep end here with you. What does the edge of the abyss look like to you? Oh, man. Um, I think it's for me, it's not so much about what it looks like and more of what it feels like, which is mm. that you're on the verge of something disastrous and in kind of like the flow at the same time. So like I'm an, I'm an aerialist as well. And so there's like a fine line uh, that you get with that of knowing when you're in constructive pain and when you're in actual pain and danger and you learn to really balance on that edge point and learn that not all bruises are bad. Hmm. And I feel like I take that approach to a lot of my magic as well. Wow. That's so, that's so amazing. And also you just revealed a, a another huge part of yourself that I don't think I knew about. <laughs> um, how does your work in, in that of being uh, suspended or grappling with uh, some sort of device far, far above the ground? How, how has that, if any influenced your more esoteric work? You know, What's funny is when I first started that, it was, I think, four four years ago now, and I wasn't as deep into magic then as I was now. And it was a, a grounding tool for me, which is ironic because you don't touch the ground, but yeah. <laughs> um, that speaks to a lot of my personality, I think, too. But <laughs> it, I needed something consistent that involved like my whole body because I, I, I think feel the most put together when I'm moving. And so... I have a lot of like action oriented related hobbies as well, but I actually for a while before the pandemic was using it as like a coping mechanism tool, um, a way to like transmute energy, which I also do with magic. Mm. But what's interesting is I'm really drawn to things like that, spinning, moving really fast. And I didn't realize up until I read a book recently, that that's like a really common motif with fairy as well of like mm. spinning suspension, the idea of flight being, there being a lightness to dimensions. And it was almost like really frustrating when I found it out. And I was like, I thought I was doing something earthly that, <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't so much um, this anymore. Cause sometimes I'll like get so uh, ungrounded that I, sure. I need something, but it, for me, it's, 
a way of transmuting energy. Like I talk about a little bit on my podcast, like the idea of, of a doom, witch, um, which was like an ad lib thing I did like a year ago, but I've made it something now where it's like, you take all the doom in life and you transmute it into something else. And I think a lot of the times, um, art, singing, dance exercises that for me. That's amazing. And also I'd imagine that being in those places and now recognizing them as something is maybe fae related. Um, you enter perhaps a state of liminality while being in the, you know, sort of the grasp of potential danger, don't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was a big thing for me. I mean, this is like, I know we're just starting, but like, I guess like when I was a teenager, I had a lot of like self-destructive habits with, with uh, coping with emotions and things like that. Mm -hmm. And, um, Ariel as well has helped me figure out how exactly to honor that that was part of my life. And that was like how I was coping then. And I shouldn't be ashamed of that, mm -hmm. but making it something, um, more beautiful for myself and more constructive at the same time, which I think again, like teetering on the edge of that danger and something constructive for yourself is also like a liminal space. Mm. Yeah. You'll hear individuals that find themselves doing maybe Brazilian jiu-jitsu or mm -hmm. mixed martial arts, uh, something that is extremely physically stressing to the body and, and even potentially a little bit sort of, you know, bodily traumatic, but it allows them to find like sort of the grounding and that exhilaration of being in that different state. Um, what's really interesting, Kim, let me bring you into this real quick. We just had a conversation about the power of finding yourself uh, in your body while pursuing or living in a magic world. And, and to fine tune that a little bit more, uh, Tim, you're an individual who, you know, up until recently was was battling a lot of health stuff, right? And now you're finding your place back in your body and remembering how much that was a tool in also your, you know, sort of your mystical journey of being grounded within your body. Can you speak a little bit about that and how some of that may relate to what Mana is talking about? Yeah, well, I think you know, we have to be in our bodies in order to be here, right? And so in order to be here, well, here is where all the good stuff is. And so the nature of reality is magical, right? So any kind of distance from being embodied or grounded or centered or whatever spiritual path or tradition you're working with, that's the only way that you can get to the good stuff. So when I was sick, I didn't even, it's one of those things, I guess, if I was a psychologist, I could say it's regression of the ego, regression and service of the ego, but consciousness is a funny thing. You kind of don't know how bad you are just so that you can keep going. So when I came back into my body, it was like, oh, wow. You know, this is why we have the words remembered, you know, because you're literally putting mm -hmm. yourself back together again and your reality starts to reflect that. So is that helpful? Yeah, most definitely. And Mana, I, I assume that uh, getting into something like that, I guess you would call it like maybe a pursuit or even a sport, perhaps mm -hmm. your aerialism, uh, being an aerialist, uh, does that resonate with you in terms of it allowing you to sort of remember your, yourself in a way or connect with a part of yourself that maybe you've forgotten? Yeah, I, I find a lot because you have to be so present and essentially the goal is to become so comfortable on an apparatus that you can easily enter a flow state and 
have all that muscle memory and have know on a whim when you're, when you're too far, how comfortable you can be before you fall out. And especially to get to that point to do shows is you, you have to leave the anxiety behind. You have to leave everything else. You have to be fully present with yourself at that time, or you're going to put yourself in danger, overthink it or make yourself more stressed. And that's ultimately why I do it because it takes me out of that, that place. And, um, afterward, usually you have what, I mean, I'm, I don't know if people will know what this is, but it's called Lyra. So it's a metal hoop. It's a stainless steel, not metal hoop okay. instead of silks, which most people are more familiar with, mm. but there's this thing called Lyra kisses that you get, which are basically bruises where all the concentrated pressure gets on your body when you hang on to it. So oh, wow. I'll get them a lot on my elbows, probably not visible. Now I have a pretty big one right here. Um, nice. but those to me are like reminders of that, um, okay. in a constructive way. Again, I want to be careful because some of the implications of that can be sometimes, but you have to be fully present. And that's how I remember myself. Like that's a lot of people's goals with meditation. And for me, I find if I am so much in my head and in anxiety and sitting down and meditating is really hard for me, I will go outside. I have a rig in my backyard and do that for a little while. And then I can come back in and sit down um, a lot easier. Yeah, that's great. I do the same thing with like my backyard now. I, you know, I was like, we, we got this house, we have this backyard. I was like, I don't know, I guess I'd mow the lawn and I'd dig around or something. And then I, I realized that I found myself out there when I was sort of super stressed or overwhelmed or maybe in a different life, taking six showers in a row. <laughs> Instead, I was like digging gravel or something. And I was like, I'm working at something. And then like, I felt better. <laughs> so totally. yeah, like finding those spaces where you can flow right and and really at the end of the day we're talking about like sort of uh energy containment right and like focusing and shooting your energy off into different directions uh darcy like i'd love to bring you in here at this point too you know this idea of us having to uh consider what direction our energy is going to just be normal human beings living on this earth despite all of the incredible mystical supernatural things that may be happening around us and or we're channeling and or we're manifesting. Um, how, how, do, how do you think one tries to do that in the modern age right now? I mean, it's, I think there's a lot of ways you can do it. And I think that you're all bringing up really important things, right? This physicality and these different aspects of physicality. Um, I myself, who I come from an athletic and dance background, but then have also had health challenges with my knees that are just doing their own thing most days. But again, pushing in those ways that are, what is the pain that is pain that is good pain versus pain that is something that is actually like not constructive, right? It's an important distinction. And we get very comfortable with not being uncomfortable ever, right? Mm. Like this is something we have to think about. And it's it's part of what I work with folks in when we talk about mindfulness, because there are simple physicalities that we can take uh, to help rechannel anxiety and panic. And um, what I call it is like putting tools in your mental health toolbox, right? And people can do it different ways, but it's important for us to think about the things and know the things that we can use to channel into different directions. Because if we know where the tool is when we need it, 
then it is more helpful than if we're trying to find it in the midst of needing like, Oh, I'm I got to figure out a thing to do this. Mm -hmm. And I think that like culturally we are, we are taught to like run on this really high level of stress and anxiety and pressure and constant deliverance and constant conversation and like respond to that respond to that email, like all that hustle all the time. And when we are overwhelmed, it is almost looked at like, how could you be, how can you be overwhelmed like that? Like, why would you be overwhelmed? It's like, because I need you all to be just quiet for a few moments. And like, for myself as an HSP, I get really overwhelmed sometimes. And then it's just like, I've got to figure out how to navigate that, right? Like, even today, I was out amongst people (laughs) and got very overwhelmed and used some of those tools that I, I know for myself, like, okay, this is the space I have to be in right now, but this is these are the the physicalities that I can take that don't that don't actually break uh, social norms at the time, but right. help me kind of calm down. Yeah, that's the thing. Like I think what we can what we're allowed to do in public versus what we might do in our private practice, what we might do like in our backyards and those kinds of things. But I think it also ties into this larger almost toxic narrative around self-care and this idea of like what self like everyone just make sure you're building self-care into your routine like what is what does that mean just keep going on what what is she gonna say next i don't know (laughs) well i mean just like this so one there's a lot of uh you know, this is my American studies brain coming out. We've seen a lot of people decide what self-care is mm-hmm. like, oh, well, that's that's not self-care or that is self-care. And mm. so then people start feeling like, oh, but this this serves me. This yeah. serves my practice. This serves my mental health. This serves my physical health, whatever it is. But because it doesn't fit into this little box of mm. what other people say self-care is then people doubt themselves and so it's more of that push i think in our culture not to trust our own intuition and again we like to like we love to rely Mm. on experts but then we end up denying what really serves us and and when we come back to that when we come back to that space of like this is what serves me this is what uh honors my body and my practice it's very freeing, but maybe not always as culturally or socially acceptable. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Mano, how how would you how would you chime in to to that sentiment or to that idea that you know perhaps these ways that we channel our energy is you know should be considered an individualistic pursuit uh, instead of sort of whatever the status quo of how to do that is. Well, we're going to continue with the conversation of self-care too. Like I, I haven't like thought this thought through fully before, but hearing Darcy talk made me think about it. And I think a lot of, in addition to everything you said about a lot of the racist connotations and privilege that self-care is described as pretty much online nowadays. I think a lot of what is described as self-care and that we're told to do is almost a way to like get people to contain their energy and what is they're trying to, that they're dealing with, as opposed to what I think lots of people who struggle with, just take a bubble bath, you know, put a face mask on, light a candle. Um, What people need sometimes is to transmute it. And Mm -hmm. 
some something to do to to move through whatever it is they're feeling they're working through relieve stress and anxiety and for some people that's like sleeping 14 hours sometimes that's what you need um and for some people they have to go run a mile and then they can come back to work like my roommate uh we live near the beach and so she's she works from home sometimes she just gets up from her computer goes jumps in the ocean and then comes back inside so, and that's, you know, you don't see that like yeah, right, right. <laughs> of what people should do, but there's what I've noticed and what's been effective for me. Cause that's who I can speak for and people around me that I care about. It's something about, again, that word transmute that I didn't intend to say so many times during this interview, but I am now. <laughs> there's a counter out there in a drinking game now. Yep. <laughs> not, not really. Not at all. <laughs> Follow the show on social media at Euphemet. E-U-P-H-O-M-E-T. interesting about this is like we're talking also about um a convergence of different schools of thought from like you know therapy on the one side to to magic on another side oh, yeah. to the kind of healing that i'm doing to people who are trying to achieve flow states or neurohack and all these different kinds of things where we're at a really interesting time when we're all kind of touching on something similar right yeah so, like if i just shared just like a little bit of what what got me into this in the first place was like I first started, I was very attracted to the power of people who had cities and, and these magical powers in India or these awakened ones and this kind of stuff or just having like a rainbow body, just the ideas of these kinds of things and then getting to explore uh, the other magicians and what people have actually accomplished. You know, it's um, it, at one point I realized that I needed to actually start meditating and doing my own therapy and healing work so that I could understand when my consciousness wasn't being fractured through space and time. And I, I didn't even know that this was a thing because again, what I was saying earlier, what the ego does is the ego shields you from this sort of thing. Hmm. So you sort of just have to take it um, at face value or find someone that you trust to sort of enter into this so that your paradigm can constantly be challenged and you can sort of feel through uh, what took your power away to begin with. And once you mm. get back in the body, which is what we're all talking about, which is what everybody seems to want to begin with, because this is the kingdom of heaven or blah, blah, blah. You know, everyone's got a different way of saying it, but it's just about 
feeling like we're at home. So whatever, <laughs> you know, just like, can I, can I be safe tonight? And then, oh, here comes all the magic and revelation and all, because we're freed up our creativity. So spirit can work through us. So, you know, that's what I've been up to. The last yeah. Year. Wow. That's Makes amazing. sense though, right? Very yeah. much so. And yeah, you, you like convergence is the word there. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, we're all talking about the same thing in the same state seemingly or similar mm -hmm. state. And we're pulling in a lot of different information from a lot of different uh, ancient cultures or personal ideas, or just simply the state of, you know, our social fabric, the, the nature of social fabric right now. I will tell you that I really like B12 lately. <laughs> Can we just talk about that real quick? I was telling Tim about this one day where I just started taking B12 and I was driving, I was driving along the road and it was like, my eyes just like got bigger and it was like, I could see more clearly. Like I just had this burst. It was just the craziest thing. I like, couldn't even believe it. So anyway, um, if you want a real simple thing to add to your supplement list, supplement list, I don't have a code. It's not, that's not what this is. <laughs> This it's is just, not a new sponsorship just, for B12. I'm just, I'm just telling you, dig through some gravel, take some B12, sleep 14 hours. That's that's all you but, anyway. But I think it's interesting. But what it's it's interesting that you're saying though, Jim, because like I don't know, six years ago, my doctor was like, Oh, if you're low on vitamin B, you can have depression and anxiety. Mm. We just don't think about it. Like they they're it's interesting to see where more of these like homeopaths and DOs are looking in these more holistic aspects yeah. of not just like, let's throw you on a medicine, but like, oh, maybe your body is lacking something it should normally get. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. So that mm -hmm. makes sense. And I think Tim, I got to comment on something Tim said, which I think is like, oh, so important is finding someone you trust yeah. in your journey, because I feel like for so many folks, as they move towards something that they feel like is going to be helping or healing, the figurehead at that, the experts, whoever they are, the first thing they want to do is point out how much you are lacking. Mm. And so if you are in this constant state of catch up or feeling like you are not good enough or you will never achieve because they're looking to keep a weird power dynamic going, mm. that doesn't help either. Yeah, right. Yeah, there is, there is, uh, there are gatekeepers in that way, aren't there? Mm -hmm. I just want to comment, uh, Darcy, Tim, man, uh, I think a lot of listeners are going to gain a lot of um, really great insight and information. This episode, the three of you are just you're you're coming in hot <laughs> with just sort of like some really nourishing tidbits, and where you know this is supposed to be just a show about magic and weird things. And, and I think that like what's happening with this show and with this conversation in particular is that there's, um, there's a lot of folks that can resonate with uh, these feelings and uh, consider for themselves what they do to channel their energy or not. So I will ask uh, patrons right now, uh, if you guys have, you know, sort of ways that you channel your own energy you want to share with us or talk about or uh, you know add to the table here uh, let's open it up i mean this episode really is about living in magic now a half an hour into this thing <laughs> i want to go back in time a little bit here 
uh, and, and Mana, since you are our guest, uh, thank you for just rolling with this kind of freewheeling conversation here. Uh, can, can you take us back to when magic popped into your life? You know, like I can't think of a specific moment. Mm. Like there, there's more like waves that it came through. Mm. Um, I was an only child for 10 years. So I, my parents worked full time for most of that until my sisters were born. And so I had to become an adult like immediately and <laughs> there's no shade to there. I love them, but like that's, that's just what happened. And then yeah. when my sisters were born, I became like another adult figure in the house for them because sure. there's two of them. Cause they're twins. And that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <Can be>. yeah. <laughs> so I was someone who, and I still am was, is very, what they call like very imaginative kid. I had at the time, like undiagnosed ADHD, like my whole childhood. And so I was very like off in my own world. And I just thought it was my own imagination. And I had an imaginary friend really consistently mm -hmm. when I was like in first grade up until through almost seventh grade, which is the only reason that stopped because structurally or societally, that's a weird thing to have to, when you're almost 13 years old. And I'm look at all of that now through a much different lens. And in some ways I'm doing the same thing as I was at that time that I was then. But that was when I think about it, just like the, the essence of who I was, like I would just go outside yeah. and connect with things. And I, there was a memory I have of picking up like crystal quartz rocks out of the driveway and putting them in a paper bag to bring inside. Mm -hmm. And then remembering that, oh, this is a weird thing to do. And so I like dumped them all out and then went in. I was like, I have no idea why <laughs> I just went outside to do that. Cause it was like its own errand to go out and get those rocks. Yeah. And as I got older and I started to think this is how everyone thought. And I would share all of that with people. Um, I ended up getting shut down and then became very atheistic. I believe in nothing teenager, which was much more work to believe that way I found than to believe in possibility. It's a lot more uh, effort on in your part. But when magic fully came into my life in a way that I really recognized and was able to embody and pursue and trust myself with it was when I was graduating early from high school. And so it was like the near the end of that time. Um, I ended up going to a psychic festival and I didn't really know why I was there. It was just, you know, an advertisement that I saw and I walked in and I sat down at a, a booth. I never had a reading before. And the woman looked at me and then said a few things and then started crying. And then it's like, oh my God, you're an alien. And I thought, is this just how all this goes? Is this what people Whoa, tell people? Right. Um, yeah. And then <laughs> I ended up getting a full reading from her later, like on a different day. And she became a mentor for a while and helped open me up to like, no, this community exists. Like people mm. exist out there who believe in strange things and it's okay. And from that point forward, it's been a constant pursuit of meeting people um, through this for me. And then that's, what's allowed me to grow a lot of confidence just to kind of trust my own magic. And that mm. I don't have to always do whatever, what everyone else is doing. It's great, you know, to read things and listen to people and build an array of experience to draw from or hear from, but at the same time, it doesn't devalue your own personal experiences. And yes. I found too, that oftentimes I'm really grateful that I didn't know this community existed for so long because I can look back at a lot of what I experienced through my childhood 
and um, early adulthood and be like, I didn't know that was a thing and that still happened to me. And so there's something there, like it wasn't present in my brain for me to try to dismiss away because I heard something or read something. It happened and I didn't know it was possible. And I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that, isn't that funny? You know, the situations where we can reach back into our bag of history and pull up these things that are so nourishing that just feel like maybe so inconsequential or just kind of like the lore that we carry around with ourselves. When you start collecting those anecdotes up, it really can paint a really powerful picture about where we've come from and maybe who we really are. Can't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think now like how much I've become involved in various different communities in the past year and a half because of my podcast, which I started because I lost my job at the beginning of the pandemic. It was like, I don't know what to do with myself now. And so I made it <laughs> just for like me and my friends to talk. And it was like a fun thing. I yeah. joked about it being like the apocalypse, like the podcast <laughs> apocalypse. Everyone was like, I'm, we're all doing this. Um, and then it just like kept expanding. And I, I'm very selfish when I record my podcast because it's just what people I want to talk to and I can get them (laughs) in like a contained space for an hour of time. And it's been such an important part for like informing myself on the different practices that exist on ways that I can connect with others again on things that I didn't know other people did. Like I have to, I also do, it was funny you mentioned martial arts earlier because I also have a past with that. And I've met, you know, a witch in England who is like a professional boxer. And then I'm just, wow. we're just bonding about the magic that comes from martial arts. And I'm like, yeah. I didn't think that I could ever have a conversation like this. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, yeah, it, it's interesting. You bring up the relationship or action with a magical community, right? Because there's so much power to that. And even with what we're doing here, there's a lot of power with just having a community around um, these you know, sort of hangouts. But I think at the end of the day, what makes them so profound is that each one of us are walking away from these an individual, not a member of some like sort of coven or cult. You know, we, we're, we're, we're not like sort of this uh, organized faction of individuals that are out to do something in particular, but there's an individual will to some of this that I found really powerful. And mm-hmm you know, maybe you can touch on a little bit about how something like that would resonate with you as a nomad as you are. Like my experience with listening to you on other shows is that you're very nomadic. You will like, you know, move somewhere else, a drop of a dime. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What is going on with that? And how does that relate to your magic sensibilities? Is this a part of living within magic? Yeah. I mean, I think it's part of my I guess like natural ability to live in liminal space because I, it's hard for me to to stay put. And even where I'm living now, I, you know, I, for, I'm working a couple of like real life 3d normie jobs, whatever we want to call it now while I'm here to make some extra money. But for the past couple of months before February, I was full-time witching basically. And I had the ability to kind of just pick up and move. And I am just really resistant to anything that binds me into a space for a long period of time. And even at the beginning of the pandemic, I was living in on the coast in Northern California and my like 
intimate family, like my parents and my sisters, and my sisters are still really young, are living inland in California and they had a bunch of land. And so I just left my apartment there and then moved home, was in a trailer <laughs> on the property. It's like, I thought I'll just be here for a while. And then I moved to Oregon for a little bit to live with some witches that I met that I met from a podcast meetup the year before. Um, you know, seemingly these are all things that could go horribly wrong, but none, but yeah. they didn't like they, <laughs> they went really well. And then where I'm living now is another person that I met at a meetup and she just invited me to come live in her house all the way across the country. I live in Rhode Island now and I just drove across with all my stuff in my car. And that's now where I live. I still don't have a lease. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> if I'll ever get one anytime soon, but yeah, I I've been on the move a lot and some of the most magical things that I've experienced have come from the fact, and I, and I don't know if this is oh, what they would call this, but it's, there's an aspect of like teetering on the edge of the abyss that comes with this too. I'm always teetering on the edge of disaster. When I lived, when I lived in England, I lost my phone on a train, didn't have a mm. phone for a couple of months, didn't have a navigation system, was still traveling around, was still mm. like riding the trains. I was like, anything could go wrong at any moment. And things did totally go wrong, but mm. I'm fine now. And like a lot of those are some of like the most powerful things that I have drawn from now. Like I had a, what I didn't recognize at the time when I was in England, like a near-death experience that lasted for, I, I ended up getting sepsis and I didn't know. And I didn't go with a oh doctor. Oh my God. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And that whole experience, when I came out of that and recovered like a month later, again, I was so stubborn. I didn't, I, the American in me was like, I don't believe healthcare is free here. I will not go to the doctor, which was a big mistake. But <laughs> um from that experience, I had to, when I came out of it, it, it changed my whole perspective, like on life in general. And then I moved to a hostel off in, off, on an island off the coast of Morocco called the Grand Canaria. And I worked at a hostel mm. there and I met local witches and on a whim went camping, like on, on the edge of an island cliff in like for the summer solstice. And to me, this is all normal. Like, this is like what I assume everyone lives. Everybody like. does this way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And it's, it's upon like when I try to connect with people, like even at the beach today, which I went to, cause it was really nice out. Um, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm a circus person also. Like that was part of what the aerial community is. It's very circus oriented. And I just started juggling at the beach, forgetting that that's like not really a thing that people do that is just like passed by. And when people came up to talk to me about it, you know, I'm giving a little bit of background and a conversation for them to inform like why I'm juggling at the beach and I can't even get like two sentences in without having to explain, Oh, right. That's a weird thing. Oh, when I say I do research, people go, what research? And I go folkloric paranormal. They're like, what does that mean? Okay. And it's like, you know, I'm just trying to explain why I know how to juggle. <laughs> <laughs> and here we go. And here's the yeah. So, but again, that, that traveling and that liminality for me, it, it's like, I, I keep it like I'm constantly like that. And I think I almost have a fear of stepping fully into one world or another. Um, I'm not sure if, if what podcasts you've listened to Jim, but like a, one of the, the things that I talk about a lot when I guess other places is I have like a really connected relationship with a specific being that I put through the framework of fairy mm -hmm. and you know, there's a lot of folkloric accounts of, you know, the witch and the fairy not actually being so separate of beings. And even though like the trivialization of fairy is like this whole other thing now that we deal with. Um, yeah. And fairy as fandom 
on the internet. I don't know if that's been like a perspective that I was talking to someone last night. I know I'm like going all over the place because I'm getting That's okay. <laughs> Can I ask, is this very like the she the Celt- from Celtic folklore? Like, um, yeah, Angler, those guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's more of the framework that I'm looking at. And hear I- all about that. I'm so intrigued. Yeah. I'm going to be right back. Actually, I'm going to grab a little pile of because I just pulled out some fairy stuff the other day. So this is cool. Okay, okay. cool. I'm into this. There we go. So should I go into the fairy stuff? I guess we're waiting for Tim. <laughs> what in the world? We're going to take a fairy break for Tim, but we're it's awesome. Fairy break. Okay, this is well, the magic. Follow the show on social media at Euphomet, E-U-P-H-O-M-E-T. Here, this is Jim in real time in August of 2022. And this weekend, we are going to be chatting a little bit about some of the space junk, space objects, the mysterious things that keep falling out of space and landing in rural parts of land. There's one that landed that allegedly, reportedly, is from SpaceX. It looks like a black monolith. Thing designed by a Hollywood set maker. This thing is wild and unleashes your imagination, whether it's from SpaceX or not. How convenient that so many things are dropping right now. How convenient that we have an answer for them all. What if we really don't? That's this weekend on 11.50 a.m. KKNW in Seattle and worldwide at nightdrift.com. 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Join us live for one of these nitros. It's pretty fun. And or not, listen to us on the Euphemet feed. We're going to jump back into our conversation that we had last year. Mana Aylin, Tim Rothschild, Darcy Staniforth. Thanks so much for spending this time with us. We hope that we're contributing a little bit of a soundtrack for your weekend. Summer starts to wane down, these last bits of heat touching our skin, taking in that dry air, hopefully. I hope to be able to do that myself sometime soon. But until then, let's get back into the conversation. This happened at the beach earlier, too. I started talking. 
Yeah, and then, well, I was just like talking about something and then I was like, these are people that don't know me. And I'm just like, and this happened and that happened. <laughs> I love it. I love it. We're talking about containing energy, right? We're just <laughs> going to try to contain your energy for, for our benefit is what mm -hmm. we're doing here. But right, that's Tim, also the back. joy of being your authentic self, right? To True. just be like, this is who I am. Here mm -hmm. you yep. go. Yeah. Sorry, I confuse you. Why don't you catch up? <laughs> right? Uh, Tim. Yeah, yeah. So I, I was, um, there's these two guys. So one of, one of the things I was writing down, some of the questions I wanted to ask you have to be with like, with your personal journeys through, you know, other realms. You know, I wanted to know about the other life forms, the other intelligences. And, you know, any information or messages they might have for yourself that might be helpful for others with the time that you live in or eternally, all that kind of stuff. And I was literally thinking of the she because this mm -hmm. guy, John Matthews, you know, this was referred to me by one of my teachers who works with them. And um, they had some amazing messages for humanity, you know, just like just like one of those things. Just like, that's a great book, but like, everyone mm -hmm. should read it. So I was curious about that, you know, about what your personal relationship with them was like and if there's anything that's that's of value anything mm. else, you know, that's great. Well, what I found, and again, I thought this is like what everybody had. So <laughs> this was like the past year I've been learning that it's, it's, it's not so similar for everyone else. Like I know that there's people talk a lot about, um, spirit guides and spirit teams or spiritual courts that people have. And I, and I, I like that idea and I work with that idea, but this being that is with me, it's more like of an akin relationship that's as though I exist somewhere else at the same time I exist here. So it's a little bit different. Um, I, I would consider them a peer more so. And so if something went awry, we would just go our separate ways. It's, it's less of like a, like a life commitment um, that I think a lot of people refer to when they think about guides, mm. but I met them right before I had my near death experience. And this is something, if you talk to a lot of people who, you know, they have spirit marriages or um, some type of blood oath situation from other lives or things like that. Um, there, there's this idea that when you start engaging with some beings in fairy, and then this is just my experience. And I think I see things through like a very macabre lens. And so someone can, someone else could have the same experience as I'm having. And because of the way consciousness is and the way people connect with things would probably translated a little bit different. Um, my understanding of fairy is there's a lot of like the initiatory aspect of people trying to go to fairy. And sometimes you can do that through what I call going into vision or some people shamanic journeying, depending on what modality you're connected with. And this being ever since I met them has always come with me when I try to go to somewhere like fairy as though they're my liaison specifically with other beings. And so I find that having them around, it's like, I have a pass into other places hmm. that again, like I didn't think much about when it was happening because I thought that that's just kind of what everyone initially had with their experiences, other beings. But it was specifically when I would interact with something that would be fairy connected. And sometimes I use the word fairy, like capital F, like a place or destination. Hmm. I don't, sometimes people aren't familiar with that in case listeners aren't. That's kind of what I mean when I say that. Um, a lot of what I've gained from them and our like connections and conversations is that there's just so much less of an existence of time in, in that realm, um, which I don't even feel like is so separate from ours, but it's so hard to like conceptualize it with language. 
hmm. that it, it's really changed how I've interacted with my own life. And so I guess it's like helped me come to terms with my own mortality in this form. And that also that there's a part of me that is just continuing to exist other places. Like when I've gone um, into vision or shamanic journeying and taken them with me, or if I have dreams where they'll show up or just experiences, even with people who have no idea who I am, I'll ask this being to come help me with something. And then the person sitting in the room will be like, what just entered in here? And most other people's inter interactions or connections with them are like, they're kind of scared of who it is sometimes it's because it's a bigger energy, but I just find that through this relationship, it's really helped me connect with invisible energies or things that we don't think are, you know, 3d in front of us beyond just like fairy in general, like with trees and um, other spirits, ghosts, whatever you want to call it. It's really helped me meld all of it together in a way that I don't think I would be able to understand if I didn't have to like, kind of make the conscious choice to acknowledge this presence that I can ignore in the way that I have, because otherwise I think I would still be trying to look through my own spiritual journey and practice in like a fractured way of like, okay, well, supposedly the veil's not thin right now. So I shouldn't be able to experience this or that, but it's helped me meld all of it together. How interesting. So it's helping you break down prejudgments by yeah. its existence alone and that relationship that you're building with it. Wow. That's, that's, that's wild. And how does having a relationship with, uh, with an other, with an invisible energy like this, with an entity that is both you and not, how does that help you communicate magic and or work with clients? Does it have any benefit to you in that way? Yeah. Um, you know, I, when I first started sharing the origin story of this, which is really long. Uh, so I'm not going to get into it right now. Let's save it for a euphemid episode. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, people can find it on my podcast if they need the condensed <laughs> version. <laughs> it won't Don't be as a no. beautiful sounding. <laughs> um, it has truly changed like me, like as a person. Mm. And I, I really, like, I get really emotional thinking about it because I didn't think, um, when I started sharing the story, I thought, you know, rule number one in some of like, the witch circles that I was in at the time is like, be careful with like what information you share with people mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, they can use it against you. And I, I live both literally in my physical life. I grew up in a way where you're just very aware of your surroundings, um, my home is a fortress, not just magically, but like I have kick sticks under the doors. Like if someone mm -hmm. tried to like kick my door in their femur would go into their pelvic like socket and it would be unpleasant um, because of just a lot of what I've experienced and how I grew up. And so sharing that type of story is hard because it's a lot of emotional vulnerability. But once I started doing it, I found that I would get clients that would come to me, people that would reach out from the podcast that just had no idea that's this, that their experience, which was different, but similar in the sense of building a relationship with something that you're imagining, which is what people will tell you you're doing, um, that they thought it wasn't real or valid. And then here's some random person just sharing all these details that are so in line with what they have. And 
I am really grateful that I've started sharing it because I've made some of my close friends through clients that have even come to me because of that. And even people who don't know that that's something that I have going on or that I've shared, they'll get recommended to me from someone else for like a tarot reading that's about something that's going on in their life and not necessarily like the grander, their spiritual journey. They always ask me questions about fairy or they ask me like stuff that's like, it's like, they're, it's, it's now that I'm putting it out, people are tapping into that and they know even unconsciously that I can point them in the right direction because I feel like through the podcast and other people I've connected with who've had similar experiences, I've created like this Rolodex for myself where I can point mm. people in a direction if I don't know what, what to do. Or um, if people, like I have a friend who's an astrologer who does specifically, she calls it haunted house astrology, where she can look at your chart and talk about generational curses, trauma, and your like magical affinities, which is, mm. I don't know anyone else who like does that specifically and that oriented with astrology. And so I, that's like an example. I can just point yeah. people on what they need next. And I find that in the feedback I've gotten, um, particularly with fairy research, because I am working on a project now of trying to put a directory together of sources that I've read, um, of books and my reviews on them and how they've affected like my own experiences. I guess I'm just in my own personal case study and I'm just magneting people to myself who are going through something similar. Yeah, no, I mean, it's so important to just have that Rolodex, not just for clients, but for yourself, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and building those relationships. Darcy, I'd love to bring you in here. Just let us know what you think about uh, the importance of having a relationship with the other side, with recognizing potentially that um, there could be a relationship to the other side and how that could inform how you walk through a everyday life. That, 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 uh, I guess that realm of possibility that, that is left remained open for you. That's a big question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, cause I'm, I'm sitting here, man, and I'm listening to you and, and even though you're not getting deep into things, like I'm definitely, I I'm feeling those emotions mm, and yeah. I, I, um, you know, I, I, there, you know, you were talking about, uh, that frame of reference, like not having the frame of reference for so long so that, you know, like, Hey, something's there. And it's something that I, when I explain to people how I operate or how I believe, and I, it doesn't like for me, it doesn't really matter if they believe or not, because I'm like, mm. I've had my experiences and I know what my experiences are. So that's right. your lack of belief is not going to change that. Um, and I think that, I don't know, I, you know, we've talked before uh, about like Ryan Singer's philosophy, right? It's more fun to believe. And yeah. I think that's really important. And I think as we've been talking tonight, I think about you know, Jim, what you're saying about us as, as individuals and not like, we're not all working together as this like collective to try and like move these things. But I think in a way we almost become more powerful because we are building that Rolodex. We are building that network of people to say, these are the ways that these different people operate. And that might not be my area of expertise or my specialty, but I, I, I know someone trusted that I can refer you to um, to get help with this, right? Like yeah. it's it's almost like we all become these different practitioners in this larger network. And for me, you know, I 
I agree with you, man. I think being atheistic is really a lot of work, like so much like, no, I don't believe. And for me, as somebody who also studies death, dying and grief, um, looking at listening to people's grief experiences, listening to people's um, like the need for the veil to be thin or to have signs or those those kinds of things like. I think that I feel like I'm not making a lot of sense right now, but like, I, I feel no, like are. the, the more that we are open and it's going to be different for all of us. Like not everyone's mm. going to resonate with shamanic journey. Not everyone's going to resonate with fairy. Not everyone's going to resonate with ghosts or UFOs. Like we're all going to have these different things that connect for us and with us. But I feel like when we're open to that, it helps us validate and understand like who we are are truly supposed to be and mm -hmm. i think that for so long we look i've been having this conversation a lot lately about like why didn't we why don't we talk about these things when we were you know friends before and i mm. think that we spend so much of our life worried about being cool like i just want to mm. be cool or i want to be accepted or i want to be part of the community i don't want to talk about these things that set me apart but I think the very things that set us apart help sometimes drive us, push us, encourage us into who we really are. But sometimes the, the trappings falling away can be really painful. It can be really hard mm. to birth into that, yeah. birth into the things that um, we actually do need for ourselves because of social deaths right like we yeah. have physical death but we have social death which sometimes for us is scarier than actual physical death yeah. because we don't want to be alone or afraid or as an outcast but i think that the more we open ourselves up to things that resonate with our soul like there's something in there telling us like that that's what you're supposed to be doing that's where where you're supposed to be connecting in and connecting with um to what tim was saying like that's i feel like a lot when that magic does come like it's like oh these are things showing up like why didn't these show up before <laughs> well you didn't let them show up before and so or you were pretending not to notice or you weren't noticing versus that acceptance and that um that being okay with the liminal state, right? Not being trapped in the binary of here or there or black or white or male or female. Like there's all, like I've talked before, we love binaries in our culture and we love them <laughs> because they give us a place to land and they take right. away ambiguity. But sometimes that like, that betwixt and between of the liminality is what we need. This is Jim Perry. You are listening to Night Drift, presented by Euphemet.
listening to Night Drift with Jim Perry. You know, I'm taking, I've been taking an intimate, a class on intimacy the last few years, but it's led by a group of shamans. And what they talk about is what they're trying to restore the, uh, what a shaman is supposed to do for the community. And it has a lot to do with this relationship between the known and the unknown. So from a non-dual perspective, we all have a certain relationship to the unknown. And then there's people like us who also make the conscious choice to have a different kind of relationship to the unknown. And it's that interplay or that dance or that betwixt and between place when we can stand consciously there, stand consciously in the liminal space, or uh, you know, from a healing perspective, we could say stand consciously in the face of change, or if I'm an alchemist, I could say I'm transmuting by giving it a place you know, in my life. But by having a conscious relationship to the unknown, that's where the magic comes from. And because we can't know what's going to happen. It's revealed. It's an emergent quality, right? So mm. part of that emergent quality is also more to what Darcy said, is more of who we are. So this is also what reality wants. It wants more of who we are. So it wants this relationship. So I could go on and on about this because it's so beautiful. You know, this is the poet. This is why it's so easy for a man to say poetry in our bio because it's just this is where yeah. it comes from. Yeah. This is literally this is the ground from where it's all coming from. Mm-hmm. So anyway, got no, what go. a what a beautiful space. I mean, him uh, and Darcy both. Uh, you know, feel feel free to always expound. Yeah, you feel, you, don't apologize. You guys are making tons of sense, and and uh, <laughs> yeah, please. Uh, so, it's reminded me too. There's a study that just came out on LSD, and they're saying that what they figured out, a big part of why it works, is because it actually the the brain is constantly checking where we are right now with where we've been. Right. So what LSD does is it takes that away from the, the where we've been and it gives us a childlike relationship with life again because there's no belief system stored back here. Mm. So then the feedback loop is different. So, again, this is magical practitioners. Are like, I guess, man, you can speak to this. I think there's a certain kind of um, freeing out of things that we no longer need or things that are no longer useful to us as we enter into this larger, more mysterious paradigm. And that's sort of how you seem to live. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. And I find even like, I haven't done, um, I've done mushrooms only a handful of times in my life. And the last time I did it was a few weeks ago or a month ago. And just because of everything that I've been through in the past like year, it, it was different this time because of all the barriers that I've worked to remove in, in that time span. And so even though it's like different than than LSD that you're talking about, it, it helped, like, I felt like I was in fairy, like Mm. this time, like I was like, just so aware of like the newness of things, which is like what a lot of people talk about sometimes. I know this is like a little bit different than the question you asked me, but this is like what it sparked in my head. Like a lot of the motifs with fairy are like, oh, it's like the childlike nature of wonder or, you know, being able to be distracted by shiny things. Just like a lot of like the, the things people talk about. But what that comes back to at the root is like there being an, an appreciation and awareness for what is around you, like literally in front of you and not having that, that 
past comparison of like, oh, I've seen something like this before. It's not interesting to me. Like I'm used to this room now. I don't need to look at it anymore, which is something that I've realized, I think as well in the past couple of months is like my, my perception of the veil has changed through magic because of that philosophy that comes with fairy. And that I got to like impress upon myself a few weeks ago with, um, with mushrooms. And I realize now that for me, I think the veil is not so much like this physical barrier block, which is what I think pop culture like tells us it is. It's like, it's this, you know, invisible wall that something put there that in specific times of the year, you can see through it a little more and then it closes back up again. And then you can't get through, uh, which is like a lot of the narrative around like Samhain and things like that. But I think what the veil is, is you walk into a room and you've been there so many times. So you just don't notice the painting on the wall. You just don't notice the cracks in the floor or the spider in the ceiling or the ant on the wall until you see that ant. Finally, it finally catches your attention because you're very, you're present or something, or you have a moment to like actually look around. And then as you find that one ant, then you realize there's about a million ants on your wall and you have an ant infestation in your home. Mm. And you just didn't realize it before because of that loss of newness and everything. And yeah. I just feel like that for me is what the veil is. It's it's when people lean into other worlds or these other philosophies, it's just making you more aware of what's already there. There's no, in my experience anyway, so far, moving of a brick wall that something mm. put there. And then once you move it, everyone else can. Because if that was the case, then why do we all have so, so drastic of levels of experience too? Like, why does one person be really perceptive to what we would call ghosts and someone else has no idea if there's a external factor only? Like there's something interpersonal that when you Tim, end up on this journey and everything like that, or these practices of reliefs, you, you start to work yourself through removing your own personal veil. Mm. Yeah. Well said the, the, the blinders come up a little bit and we remove ourselves from that malaise that can occur. And we look at like, what could be the combatants of being like sort of awakened to some of this stuff. And it's, it's uh, being sedated, right? It's like being trapped in that mundanity that just feels like we're not in the flow of anything. Mm -hmm. We are, you know, out to pasture. And I, I would, I would suggest that um, we talk a little bit, the the four of us, and then bring the audience into it. What is something that you do, or that other people can do? to live more successfully in magic. And and uh and and Darcy we'll start with you. Um I mean something that I do or I've been doing as of late is just as things feel more and more authentic to my practice just going with it. Like, oh, if that feels right, I'm going to go with it. And so I would say like over the past year, um, you know, as I've seen different folks on different platforms make suggestions around things like put a mirror up so you recognize that you too will be one of the ancestors, put an empty frame up, uh, ancestor work, different kinds of offerings, things like that, that have resonated for me. It's like, yep, great. I'll do it. And just 
really working to trust the things that feel right um, and and leaning into those things because of coming from a very um, uh, more contained dogmatic faith background that mm. was like, you can only have these things and you can't have these things. So yep. for me, I think that has brought a lot more um, a lot more magic in for me into my life and um, just kind of using that like Malcolm Gladwell's like thin slicing of like, that feels right. So there it is. And mm. so I think that that is the thing for myself. I think I've been doing a lot more lately. Mm. Thank you. That's awesome. Tim. Yeah, I'm thinking about this. Um, I, you know, I think it's such a great question and I think it could be answered in so many different ways. I'm thinking about it right now in terms of, uh, in terms of presence, actually, mm. um, sort of learning how to embody the self. Let me see what I wrote here. Like things like making life nourishing decisions, um, working with reality as it is, being counterphobic, you know, moving into um, different kinds of situations so that you can be working with sort of not my will, but thy will. Or mm. when I say in my workshops, let the, let the water swim the fish. You know, there's a certain innate desire mystics would say that every single thing every every no matter what it is uh, no matter how small or big it has a desire in, in the center of it and that's shared by all of life at the same time so there's this urge there's this self-actualizing force and uh so the boat's moving and if you can get along with it and figure out yourself and know yourself self-mastery in other words presence um i think the magical reality will unfold because it's already present anyway Mm -hmm. So another way to say it, there's another word I wanted to use. Oh, you could just contemplate impermanence. Like if I was mm. a Buddhist mm. and then you'll see how precious all of this is. Mm. And then something might happen. That's magical. Mm. Thank you, Tim. That's awesome. Yeah. Mana, how about, how about you? I mean, you've already shared a lot of them, but. <laughs> um. You know, I might need a second to like think of. That's more. okay. Uh, let Let's go this direction real quick. Um, think about this while I'm also asking you a different question. Okay. This might trigger something. Um, Matthew asks, I've always felt dramatically different at dusk, generally more hopeful, at peace, inspired, at home, and aware of flow. Is there a particular time of day that resonates over another? And any thoughts as to why? So for me, there's, um, there's like two times of day specifically that it, for me, like late at night is really, and I'm sure that's unsurprising for like a lot of people So, <laughs> to, there's something about it being quiet and there not being, you know, time pressures for things anymore that I find it's really easy for me to do any like inward work for myself. And then there's also right at dawn like right when the sun's coming up or like the birds are starting to chirp, but no one's quite awake yet. And sometimes if I'm up really late, I'll just stay up all the way just so I can meditate at that time. And then I'll go to bed from like 6am to 10am or something and then end up getting up again. But I feel like the most, I think generally at peace though, at that dawn time, even if I'm exhausted. And so there's times, even if I do sleep or I'll set my alarm for it because no one in my house is awake. The outer world isn't awake. I don't feel 
even like, even if you want to go, not just like the time pressure that we societally have, like ingrained in us, like, oh, we're supposed to do this, get ready for this at this time. There's also not in my local area, the mass energy of people suddenly like waking up with their alarms at that Mm -hmm. time and then creating this nexus of chaos within just the the tracks where I live. And Mm -hmm. so I just, I'm really sensitive to that type of thing. And so I just feel so much more within myself and I'm willing, I'll spend more time at my altar. I will be able to have clearer questions or even I found like more concise or direct things that I can ask because with myself, I find that it's hard to tune in sometimes if I'm really emotionally invested in something and it's hard to create a clear question or if I'm going to set an intention for anything in vision or just, or for cards or any other type of divinatory practice, or even like Spotify, Mancy, or, you know, the shuffle, <laughs> get us all uh, some messages mm-hmm. that way. Um, at that time, like I find I can just get a clear, I guess, more direct channel. There's just not as much noise going on. Yeah. Wow. Well, I think you just kind of answered the first question there yeah. <laughs> with, with that. Um, Thank you so much, Mana. I will say that if folks are looking, in in my opinion, to live more successfully in magic, is to just change shit up for yourself. Change it up. If you're feeling stuck somewhere, get up. Maybe do a push-up if you can do one push-up and feel your breath change. Go for a walk. Take a shower. Break out of like whatever sort of system you feel is being placed upon you either internally or externally even by yourself or from someone else and just see what difference that does and 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 see what comes from that and you may notice after a period of time of breaking out of those states of consciousness that synchronicities begin to form again for you that small miracles start to drip in and happen so i would say consider those things. Um, Nana, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find your work? So you can find me at my website, mothmana.com. There's a link for mostly everything I do there. There's links to my podcast, which is called The Real Witches of the End Times. I also have a gallery of my digital art there because I am an artist as well, visual artist amongst, I think, so many other types. I've like lost count. And Instagram is where I'm most active, which is Mothman Tarot. And if you want to see some uh, occult-based jokes that I cannot transform into stand-up comedy at this time, that'll be Twitter at Mana Aylin. <laughs> thank you to Mana. Thank you to Tim. Thank you to Darcy. And thank you for listening to Night Drift with Jim Perry. That's it for this edition. But join us this Sunday on KKNW 1150 AM Seattle. 5 p.m. Pacific, or right back here on the Euphemet feed. But until then, keep looking up.